We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely wrestling? Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. But more uncertain now. Uh, listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce is raised. She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In fun. That's why you need Four, to take a meeting three, with Kanye West, two. Bernard Arnault. Welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined today by my esteemed co-hosts. Yogi Powell. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. So we've done a few episodes uh, now about the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, but I think the best way for a podcast about billionaires to approach this topic is to look at what do these billionaires who mostly run our world, what do they say they want to do in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? And to do that, we're going to look at the World Economic Forum today. It's a meeting group of uh, the wealthy, of politicians, of influential businessmen who are uh, they're most famous for their annual get-together at Davos every January. Uh, and we want to talk a bit about the history of the World Economic Forum, but also what these people mean when they throw around terms like the Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and the New Normal after COVID. Uh, and joining us to do that is a very funny stand-up comedian. He hosts the Live from Outer Space stand-up show at Cobra Club in Bushwick every Friday night. And he's the host of the podcast Take Your Pills Psychopath, which uses comedy to talk about mental health. John F. O'Donnell, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm psyched. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, so you're the one who like suggested this topic to us uh, initially. So uh, my first question to you is just what got you interested in the World Economic Forum? Because that sounds really fucking boring, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I think that I've been maybe boring you by talking to you about it at bars for about two or three months. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, uh, I've been talking Sean Zero off about this. Okay, the way that I first uh, found out about this, I think it was some, I think it was on Twitter, and somebody was tweeting about Event 201, right? So I was like, what is this Event 201? Because they were saying like, oh, you know, in October of 2019 in New York City, there was a simulation of a corona, novel coronavirus pandemic that was done by all of these different world leaders. And I was what? like, wait, what? It's very conspiratorial, but I need to look into it. Hmm. And then I found out that Event 201 is a real thing. It happened on October 19th in New York City. It was the World Economic Forum mm -hmm. in conjunction with the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation. Well, why not? In conjunction with John Hopkins Department of Health Security. Why not? Sure. The United Nations, World Health Organization, prominent members of academia and the media, uh, world leaders and you know prominent or CEOs of, of, of multinational corporations. They all got together and they did this simulation. And then a couple months later, there was a pandemic, you know, and the guy Klaus Schwab, who's in, in charge of the World Economic Forum, he then came out with a book in July of 2020 called COVID-19, The Great Reset, like about what the post-pandemic world would look like. So it's like they're begging you to be conspiratorial sure. about this thing. Well, it sounds like uh, thanks to their hard work there with that simulation, you know, we had such a competent response uh, once, once COVID hit New York. That's right. Yeah, they really nailed it. Yeah. I think because they probably more than actually trying to figure out what to do to take care of people, we're trying to figure out how to profit off of it. Mm. 
It is something where it's like I've noticed my brain is kind of overloaded on conspiracies now where what? I'm like I don't want any more. I'm just like I want I want to believe what you're telling me. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like I, I came into this episode as much as possible like not to be conspiratorial, but it's just like you read that so March 2020, we have the lockdowns. By July, like three months later, this guy has a book on COVID-19 out. I like, mean, I guess, I guess you know, I couldn't write a book in three months, <laughs> but maybe this guy just works so much harder than me. Wait, I got a new one for you. Yeah. Uh, Apple is uh, making a phone app to find uh, child porn so that Tim Cook can build out his child porn collection. That, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And it's like, look, I don't want to be conspiratorial about Event 201. But it's it's hard not to be when it's like all of these people who are the ones who are now dealing with. I guess it makes sense. I guess yeah. it makes sense. If you're the ones that are dealing with the global pandemic, you should probably map out and game out a global pandemic ahead of time. But it's just it's it's just something seems so dicey about it because this group seems to be hiding in plain sight. Like, I didn't know Event 201 was happening. So many people I know don't know about it. Mm. And, and it seems like it, it's, it's definitely worth investigating. I just want, so you said event 201 that was October 2019? Yeah. Okay. And then March 2020 is when the lockdowns in the U.S. start. Yeah, uh, but the pandemic or the endemic happened, you know, a month or so later in China. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's also interesting, like, uh, we talked about this on our anthrax attacks episode. They had Operation Dark Winter, which was, uh, like, early in the, early 2001 in the Bush administration, they did, like, a, a uh, biological weapons attack simulation mm -hmm. with like Judith Miller of the New York Times participated and like some other, you know, prominent people. Uh, and one of them was, of course, the scenario of the anthrax attack. And then later. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think these people are just like dabbing on us. <laughs> They're just like trying to make you go insane. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't want to go all the way down the rabbit hole, even though I, I have <laughs> because. So first I found, that's how I initially found out about the World Economic Forum was through this thing, Event 201. Then I found out all about how they're into the fourth industrial revolution and the Great Reset and all of this sort of stuff. And what, and, and I was like, this group is crazy. And then I was like, oh, these are the people that set up the, uh, the meeting in Davos every year. Like right, I didn't right. realize that that's who they were. And I didn't realize how powerful this group was, yet they have this weird type of power where they don't have any sort of mandate like they're not a corporation or they're not voted into power like like any sort of government or anything like that. They just create a sort of liaison situation to put yeah. like world leaders and multinational corporations together. They're sort of like these matchmakers. And while they do that, they try to push their agenda, which is transhumanism, which is the merging of man and machine. Do I sound conspiratorial yet, Sean? <laughs> I, I like to imagine in their initial planning meetings, they're like, well, what if we call it like the uh, the pandemic false flag planning group? <laughs> like, no, let's, we got to get it more boring. Let's world economic form. Nobody's going to pay attention. Their eyes glaze over as soon as they hear that. You know, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. John, how'd you find out about 201 again? I, I honestly, I just saw somebody tweet about it. You know what's wild is like I was doing research for this episode. And I found something called like Neem 2003 and it was about like riots in Indonesia and stuff. And like random tweets and comments on YouTube are the only way I learn these days. Like the more obscure the person being like, someone should go check this out. I'm like, this is 100% going to be something that's going to keep me up for eight hours now. Yeah. Twitter's the only place you can find the truth. And you know it because my account is there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found some I found some interesting stuff in YouTube comments as well. You know? Yeah, I, I when comments are deleted, this is what they rob from us. <laughs> a way for us to learn. 
we were talking before we started like the world economic forum like all of their youtube comments are like mm-hmm. oh they, yeah the people are aware they're waking up we're breaking the conditioning there is a contingency of people who definitely know that this is a nefarious group that is trying to take over the world's resources for right. their own evil machinations. Mm-hmm. And they comment on all of these videos. Like if you anybody that's listening, just go to World Economic Forum videos on YouTube and just read the comments. It is <laughs> just so, so funny. People do know, but just yeah. nobody I know besides you guys now. Mm-hmm. See, they care about <laughs> democracy so much they leave the comments open. That's right. That's right. Ah. Un- unmoderated. <laughs> unmoderated. You're right. That's part of their stakeholder capitalism mentality Steve? going back to what john was saying though like it isn't a group of people that are elected or or it's just a clubhouse of the most richest people in the world and i think it's about a thousand corporations we'll get more into the finer details of the group but like regardless of any conspiracy that you're gleaning from this the fact that the most powerful people in the world meet and just talk about shit should yeah. bother everyone Right. There's no situation where, no, no, the richest people in the world, they're just going to talk about what the future should hold, shouldn't terrify everyone that's not a part of that group. And we're going to get into it more, but, you know, the World Economic Forum, of course, they talk about the COVID-19 response. They talk about response to climate change. And, you know, sometimes they sound really swell and progressive when they talk about those things. But when you, just at a basic level, this is a meeting group of the richest and most powerful people on Earth. They're always going to talk about responses to those problems in ways that preserve their own power. Mm-hmm. They're not going to like get together and say, oh, we have to like get rid of all our wealth to solve climate change. No, they're going to say we have to solve climate change. How do we do it while preserving our wealth? Yeah. Yeah. And and in addition to that, they are oftentimes the corporations who have caused this environmental yeah, degradation. Yeah. So we can't rely on them to be the ones to fix it. But what they actually want to do is just create new markets in the name of the environment in order to create profit. And that's part of the fourth industrial revolution. You know how they, they book that climate uh, teenager who rides sailboats? What's her name? <laughs> Greta. Greta, Greta Thunberg. Like you think like when they book her, it's just sort of like when you book a comedian to like roast your company event. <laughs> yeah. It shows they're good sports about it all. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I'm I'm convinced that she is just a stooge of the Davo of the of the Davos class of the yeah. transnational capital class. It is interesting how vocal and popular she is, and yet at the same time nothing gets done. It's it's literally like yeah. Captain Planet being like, "The future is in your hands, children," and it's like, "What? That's yeah. that, that's gonna do nothing." Yeah. How dare you announce Event Two Hundred One? <laughs> <laughs> and she creates such a um she creates such a uh fatalistic version of everything too well and i'll be a piece of shit here but her voice makes it seem like europe is working on the problem you know what i mean and like from all the research i've done on this show it's like literally every uh nordic german all those kind of fuck all of them because like all of the worst crimes in humanity are linked to uh to europe and uh as an indian person fuck them which ones (laughs) (laughs) what is this you speak of what a whole fucking list bruh yeah. But I mean, like, it is something where I do think she, like, represents, like, no, 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 the good whites are working on it. Because, you know, even in researching this episode, everyone in this group is, like, criminally aware that, like, we are robbing everyone. And yet they, the openness to be like, but they'll never catch us in the act. It's like you're watching Ocean's Eleven while it's happening, you know, but instead of a crime that is uh, robbing a casino, it's just robbing the world of its rights and the future. Yeah. And- yeah. 
And we're going to give kind of a basic history and an overview of the World Economic Forum and its founder, Klaus Schwab. But uh, I'll just kind of start with a a couple basic facts so that uh, people uh, who who haven't heard of this have a bit of a grounding here. The World Economic Forum was founded in uh, in Switzerland uh, in uh, on 1971 by, of course, Klaus Schwab. Uh, As Yogi mentioned earlier, it's an international foundation. It's mostly funded by its 1000 member companies, but it also gets like public subsidies Mm -hmm. from the. Uh, the government of Switzerland, which is funny because Klaus Schwab, like, while talking about how CEO pay is too high, he takes home more than like a million euros a year oh, yeah. for doing this. And uh, apparently, the public statements, the world, the financial statements, the World Economic Forum releases do not break down expenses by yeah. category. So you just have no idea what they're doing with the money they take in. Yeah, his cousin, not as successful, Les Schwab. <laughs> way less Schwab. yeah uh and so you know a lot of people probably heard about davos again every january a mountain resort near the alps uh you know some three thousand paying members and uh selected participants uh they get together for five days they discuss global issues across 500 sessions and you know it's always i mean it's an easy joke but it is true that all these people fly there in private jets to of talk course, about yeah. climate change mm-hmm. Yeah, I found out uh, when we were doing, I don't know what research I was doing, but Bill Gates pays $14 million in, uh, uh, what is it called, the climate, uh, the carbon uh, tax or whatever. He, for, to, for him to fly on a private yeah. jet all the time. He, he, pays, buy, he purchases offsets. Right, the offsets, that's what it is. He pays $14 million a year. And like it's like, what? That's fucking nothing. Why? Stop yeah. flying around, Bill. Hmm. And then Klaus Schwab himself, he's just a, a German engineer and economist born in 1938. He got a a master's of uh, public administration from the Harvard School of Government. And he says that in 1967, while at Harvard, he met Henry Kissinger and began what he calls a, quote, 50 year long mentorship by Henry Kissinger. And I don't know about the rest of you, (laughs) but I always trust a guy whose self-described mentor is the most notorious living war criminal in the United States. Yeah, the person probably with his finger in the most genocides. (laughs) But isn't that amazing that, like, Klaus is sort of just skated under the radar? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Henry Kissinger is a household name known as a war criminal. Can't Mm -hmm. go to certain countries. Right. Yes. But Klaus, oh, don't forget, Sean, Klaus was born in 1938, like you said. So he is a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't hold it against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, a couple of American bomber pilots missed the assignment there. But <laughs> <laughs> You can go back in time and kill a baby. Klaus, Klaus is one of them. But you don't have to uh, believe us. You can hear it from the horse's mouth himself. We have a, a drop here, an audio drop of Klaus Schwab talking about uh, Henry Kissinger and their relationship at Harvard. Yes, uh, there was um, one course, one seminar of um, Henry Kissinger, um, which really opened my eyes. I wasn't accepted to the seminar, but I sat in. I think he let me in because I was German. <laughs> and, uh, and it was relatively shortly after the war, there were not too many Germans here. And uh, this created a friendship which has... Um, uh, endured until today, and uh, you know, uh, Henry has been several times in, in Davos. Um, and I think it was mainly uh, participating in his seminars that I developed my interest for geopolitical affairs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny, because if you meet a German now, they don't sound like this. It's like he, <laughs> he turned on Hogan's Heroes, heard Colonel Clinkins, like, that's how you speak English. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, it's like we're dissing Klaus Schwab here, but who's ever heard of a bad person with a German accent? No, never. <laughs> He's like playing the role as a supervillain. That's why it's yeah. all so hard for me not to see it all conspiratorially, you know? It would be so funny if, like, the fucking Illuminati got together, like, look, the guy we put at the top of this, he's got to have the most ridiculous German <laughs> accent. <laughs> we got to really fuck with these people. Just like, it feels like they're fucking with us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what I learned is uh, there's like some X Files ripoff show, uh, and that had like uh, they only lasted one season, mm-hmm. but they had an episode in like March either 2000 or 2001, which was like literally 9/11 is a false flag, what? where it's like the <laughs> concept is you know some New World Order CIA guys they like hijack planes and then use drones and plan to blame it on some Middle Eastern terrorist group when they fly it into the World Trade Center. But, you know, the difference between real life is uh, they stopped them. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's just like, yeah, the New World Order, they get their script writers out there just to make us all sure. insane. The other thing about this guy's voice is, like, you, like I will sometimes watch the videos for the show, like, in two times speed. But with this guy, if you watch it like that, you literally start having your brain melt. Like, you can't listen to him <laughs> speak faster than he does. It's just, yeah. it's like, no, let's slow this down. I cannot, I cannot be bothered with I, this. I turned on one of his, like, hour-long lectures, mm-hmm. and, like, I was listening, like, intently for a while, but then I just kind of relaxed and let the sounds kind of hit me. <laughs> and, like, my vision started to vibrate with, like, image images of uh, world order between right. NGOs and and uh Isn't and it governments. weird how he's... Isn't it weird how he says so much and nothing at the same time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a skill. You it know, is. It's just like platitudes just rolling over yeah. you. You just have to let it wash over you. Yeah. So you can when you, experience his ideas. When you watch him, it reminds me of that Apple commercial where the lady runs in and throws the hammer. Like, what's playing on the screen? I don't know if you remember that, but it's just like a giant head that's like, we will talk to you and everything will be done. Like, it just feels like, I guess I'm tolerating this in my life now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you, remember that commercial. You know, if you play his speeches uh, four times speed, but also backwards, mm-hmm. it'll actually become Adolf Hitler's speeches. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, Steve did a, a bit of research on kind of the general history of the World Economic Forum. So uh, he'll share a bit of that with us, and then we'll we'll tell you what we mean or what they say they mean when they use these terms like Fourth Industrial Revolution and Great Reset and such. Yeah. So as Sean mentioned it was started in 1971, and it was initially called the European Management Forum Mm -hmm. from 1971 to 73. European Management, what has ever gone wrong with that? (laughs) Right. And so it was, there were no world leaders there for the first few years. Uh, It was just like prominent business leaders from Western Europe, mostly, uh, meeting to discuss like supply chain management and stuff like that. Oh, prominent business leaders from Western Europe. I wonder <laughs> where some of them got their start. It was the uh, the reunion group for everybody who made money at Auschwitz, basically. <laughs> Just everybody who had like a stake in the slave labor camp over there. Keynote speech from the guy who invented Zyklon B. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are not wrong. It wasn't until 1973 that it got more attention after a meeting a couple times. Nowadays, they have a thousand, like we said, like multi multinational corporation sponsors, etc. But they first they started out with uh, they the European Commission, like the EU governing mm-hmm. body, right. let them host their conference in Davos, not not where they are now in Davos, sure. but in like a different place. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a small thing. But in 1973, they got more attention because there were two events, 
namely the collapse of the Bretton Woods system of fixed exchange rates, and then also the beginning of the first oil shock. Hmm. And so these became like really like geopolitical issues that um, caught Klaus Schwab's attention, and he was able to like get a few world leaders there who were like suffering like supply chain shocks from from the oil. Right. Don't let any good disaster go to waste. <laughs> no crisis go to waste. Yeah. Well, it's a good marketing opportunity. Right. From this Harvard thing that uh, came out six months ago, he talks about the first one where he like. He borrowed money to do it, and the guy he borrowed it from said that if you fail, you have to come work for my company for three years. And it made him so much money that he was able to not only pay that guy back, but then also start a conference because at that time it would only cost 50,000 euros, and he made 49,000. So from the first one, he had made like enough to pay that guy back as well as 49,000 euros. So I don't know exactly how he's making money from this whole thing, but... The man had a network from being Kissinger's stooge to uh, fund this thing pretty well, even early on. Also, apparently it was funded by one of the world's worst businessmen. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you if this is a complete financial right. disaster, I want you to work for me. <laughs> yeah. you're, the, you're the type of man I want. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't get this off the ground, right. I want you to manage my business. <laughs> But it's like, I mean, we see that again and again with like, you know, monopoly capitalism. They have every incentive to set up cartels to coordinate their interests. You know, the rich have class interests, but they have every reason to get together and coordinate their class interests. So I guess this guy's innovation was just like at first, like, let me get all the Europeans of my class together, you know, throughout Europe, throughout the EU uh, and we'll coordinate. And then eventually they expanded and they went global where the, the elites, they're not just Europe. They're the elites from really everywhere that right. believes in, uh, let's say, global multinational capitalism. Yeah, you got to start someplace, man. You got to start small when you're when you're the protege of Kissinger. You can't, can't do a world economic forum. It's got to be just Europe for a few years. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Klaus Schwab posts one of those Instagram memes like, if you weren't with me when I was grinding, <laughs> don't expect to be with me when I'm shining. You, you got to bomb the Mekong Delta before you can bomb Cambodia and Laos. <laughs> also, real quick, uh, he met, oh, he was when he was setting up the first conference, he had no experience doing that. So he put an ad out in the paper for like, hey, can someone help me set up a conference? And one person applied that was a woman named Hildy who he would uh, eventually married. She said she spoke four languages and uh, she was a babe. If you look at the photos. Mm. So for that and that alone, uh, I think Klaus eats butt. I think yeah. that <laughs> Klaus is down with the brown, if you know what I mean. We all agreed that uh, Henry Kissinger and Klaus Schwab were definitely cleaning up posts back in the day. <laughs> yeah, but I was not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, chicks dig jerks. That's right. Chicks dig jerks. Mm-hmm. And those guys are big time jerks. Oh, yeah. I said it. John, slow down. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, what do what do women even see when these guys who have like private jet flights to Switzerland every year and can go on vacation whenever they want? I don't get it. So in nineteen seventy three at that same meeting where they were like stressing over what to do about the oil shock, they also agreed on this thing called the Davos Manifesto, hmm. which is like a statement of um what would later be called his stakeholder capitalism theory. Mm. They're like, yeah, we got to cross out that word national socialist manifesto <laughs> on the top. <laughs> and then Davos. Germans writing better. manifestos. They love it. It's a great way to kick off. Cross kick out off. final solution. <laughs> stakeholder capitalism. That sounds better. Yeah, that sounds real nice. 
<laughs> one of those innocuous things that just rolls yeah. right over you. So, uh, and that um, that was very much something Klaus was into even before he started the WEF. Because in 1971, before the the first meeting, um, he and one of his um, like undergraduate classmates wrote this um, like industrial organization type paper called "Modern Untermenschführung im Maschinenbau." I heard Untermensch. Modern Enterprise Management in Mechanical Engineering. Hmm. And it was drawing, it's believed, it's claimed by him and a few other people to be the first use of the word, the term stakeholder capitalism. Mm-hmm. And other, uh, other evil fucks basically say, no, I did it first. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so he thinks he invented that. And it's built off this even older thing called um, stakeholder theory, sure. which whether capitalist or something else, it just means we can group all of the constituents in society into a couple different groups based on layers of society and if they work together, things will go smoother. That's how we're going to beat the ruling class is we just get them to all send hitmen after each other when <laughs> arguing about who invented the term stakeholder <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yeah, so like they took, uh, uh, I don't want to say that like it was his school thesis, but it was pretty, it was when he was a, uh, uh, a young blood uh, yeah. to make a name for himself in like the Bilderberg pipeline. <laughs> oh, and also I mentioned Bilderberg, uh, that, uh, Bilderberg is like kind of a, it's a little like Davos. If Davos wasn't public. Sure. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's the private school to Davos is public school. Yeah. And like part of his vision for what Davos would be, it's like, well, it's going to be like Bilderberg, except we're going to, it's, it's open to the public, at least parts of it. Sure. And it will involve world leaders and stuff like out in the open saying we want this and that instead of like some smoky smoke filled room. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like Bilderberg with like a bow with like a public middle thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> out there. And that really does make sense, though, because, you know, obviously uh, Bilderberg is the subject of numerous conspiracies, some of which are accurate, some of which are not. But the World Economic Forum, I mean, you know, yeah, it has gotten a bit of pushback, but it's not, it's not really looked at in the same kind of like shadowy, smoke-filled room kind of way because they, you know, even though they have private sessions there, they do enough of it out in the open that people are like, well, you know, all these respectable leaders of our community are there and they're getting together and they're out in the open and they have sessions that we can see. It's just like a way, it's, it's, it's I, I have to admit, it is smart of him to essentially say like, there's going to be too much public hostility if all of these meetings are behind closed doors. We have to, like, put out a public face for what we're doing here. Right. Yeah, and I think, I personally think it makes them more insidious. I think they have amazing marketing. They have crazy reach in media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They've captured academia. They're all over the place. And they're giving the general public enough of a forward-facing um, amount of content to sort of allow for their behind-the-scenes stuff to go on. Yeah. Uh, John, weren't you telling us before we started recording that, like, the Lily Singh show had, like, some, like, oh, it's the Davos Roundup highlights, y'all, or whatever. Yeah, Lily Singh, late-night talk show host, (laughs) was doing the Davos Daily, where with, like, slick graphics and everything like that, she (laughs) was just sewing sound bites and video clips of what was going on in Davos. (laughs) Like, this was awesome. And she even said something that was so patronizing to the listener. She was like, 
I know sometimes with all these big issues, it's really hard to understand what's going on, you uh, know. But it's really good that we got folks like uh, my girl Greta, oh, <laughs> my wow. girl Greta Thunberg here, just like uh, taking care of it for us. Thank you so much. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. It was like I'm working on a satire web series making fun of those people. Right. And that piece that was being presented was being presented without any satire. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. Who's ready for some ruling class propaganda, y'all? <laughs> Pretty much, Sean. They roast Klaus. Like, everything that they're highlighting in those videos, it's like, you know, two doors down the hallway in a closed room session. They're like, all right, so we mix in the expired prisoners into the hamburgers, <laughs> and the prions will take care of the excess population. <laughs> yeah, Klaus, Klaus is like, look, if the public sessions are too stressful, you can always duck out to the back and get some adrenochrome. <laughs> keep it in the fridge. Well, I don't know if they want to kill us all so much as they want to create new markets for and use us as those new markets yeah there's something called human capital markets and social mm -hmm. impact bonds and stuff like that that basically we are the new markets yeah it's one of those things where if you got you know german fucks talking about the future you are the guinea pig in that situation they want to use what you are as an example of the experiment of what people tomorrow should be like. I mean, ultimately, it just it seems like they're working towards and have already largely built a system just where the vast majority of the population serves the people at the top. Like yeah. you know, and they they call it the service economy, but it's you know that's more or less what it is, and you know what it's been for millennia. Yeah. So a couple of years after that, like. Uh, like the 1973 Davos conference was apparently so lit that two years later they eventually got their um, their sponsorship deal with up to a thousand leading companies in the world, mm -hmm. and um, the European Management Forum was sort of the first non-governmental institution to initiate a partnership with, uh, for example, China's Economic Development Commissions, spurring economic reforms in China. And like he was doing stuff on that level now. I'm not sure if this is right, but I'm pretty sure in 73 is the first time Prince Charles goes to it. And I think oh, yeah. that <laughs> the this a whole a thousand corporation things directly comes from the thousand and one club that we talked about in our WWF series where it was a thousand people giving them 10 grand to enter the WWF like gold club to then. I mean, it's, it's a similar version of this, really. But in WWF, it's we're uh, we're doing uh, um environmentalism right when really it's just uh neocolonialism and in this it's just you can buy into what the future is going to be yeah so you can buy but, access yeah you can buy world like uh multinational corporations can buy access to right. world leaders if you want to be a part of the future buy in yeah. and for so like for better or worse it, be, it developed this reputation of being like a place where world leaders can meet with everybody and resolve their disputes and shit in a semi-public fashion. I'd almost argue that the Davos um, meetings are them just hanging out. Like everything else gets done behind closed doors when they're at where they're working or whatever. And Davos is just like, a, oh yeah, that guy, I remember him. Let's go, let's go fuck up the world together. <laughs> right. Yeah, like the Davos forum kind of got standardized in terms of its structure after about 1974. So like between 74 and 87 when it did another reorg. It was like uh, there would be a big public forum with a keynote speech, typically by uh, Klaus. 
and then a couple other like guy. thought yeah. leaders and he would he, he would talk about stakeholder capitalism for a while oh, yeah. and then other people would bring up the leading business concerns of the day such as like bread and woods or some shit klaus does his speech and he's like he doesn't he doesn't mention the great reset and then the the people are chanting encore 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 <laughs> it comes back out fourth industrial revolution transhumanism you're gonna be cyborgs we will own you <laughs> Also, we need to have the great reset. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's just like he out- didn't play the hits. <laughs> you think he's just like out there, like taking a bullet by giving the boring speech mm-hmm. for like people who are watching to <laughs> kind of zone out and not notice, like Prince Andrew walking off to a back room. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I feel like that's that's like more accurate than you think. Yeah, I oh, really 100%. think he is this. He is just this figurehead that just says this on-brand message. While, you know, while the powers that be are just doing their thing. Well, I wasn't even joking earlier when I said, like, being able to communicate in these just absolute platitudes, Mm -hmm. it is a skill. Like, this is why Thomas Friedman makes a million dollars a year. If you can just, like, (laughs) you know, say, talk for a while without saying anything. Like, What are you describing, the show, guys? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so he used... Uh, yeah, so there'd be like a public forum like that, and there'd be little breakout sessions, which were typically not public, mm-hmm. where they would do more in-depth discussions of business concerns and stuff. And in the, but in the public one, Klaus would often use that keynote kind of as a bully pulpit, pulpit for his like his main ideas of stakeholder capitalism, how it's better than this other thing called shareholder capitalism, which was this Milton Friedman idea that says that uh, company's only responsibility is to maximize shareholder value. Mm-hmm by maximizing their profit in, in his eyes. That's how you get the stock price up, basically. And and Klaus was like, no, that's too cruel, basically. Hmm. We need to get all of these different constituency groups, like governments, NGOs, and um, civil society organizations, he calls them, mm-hmm. together. And each of them will have a stake in decision-making process at places like Davos. He doesn't say in exactly these words, but he's saying like basically this workers won't revolt if we do this. Because he said we were in danger of it's too this is unsustainable for workers for how we deal with the lower class and also environmentally. Like eventually it became more of an environmental thing. I think that um it's very simple to say a boss and owner of a company can be overwhelmed by the workers, but if he's working with everyone else above him and around him, then there's no chance for the workers to unite. It got kind of a cool reception for the most part in like the first decade or so of when he was at it, writing about this and stuff. But eventually, much later, I feel like stakeholder capitalism kind of came back, like in the Obama years. Yeah. And it kind of that language about like the international community, in air quotes, um, coming together to rule for the benefit of all, basically. Hmm in terms of stakeholders and shit came back with like the the globalization of the early 21st century. But prior to that though, it was him just kind of like working his shit out in front of the audience. Yeah, yeah. And uh like with no warm up. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very simple. I think it's just a silly trick to make everybody feel like they're part of the team mm-hmm. while they're being right. exploited. Yeah. yeah. It's basically like if you're working at a company or something like that and they're exploiting you, but they're making you feel like you're working with them to build something as part of their team. That's what stakeholder capitalism is. Yeah. Well, 
and also like kind of the popularity of the Davos crowd or this this particular let's say philosophy among the ruling elites in my opinion reflects the collapse of neoliberal legitimacy where you have Klaus Schwab talking I mean he's in his writings he's very concerned about class conflict he's concerned about the possibility that technology will exacerbate class conflict mm-hmm. and so you know we see that and obviously the ruling class or at least a faction of the ruling class they're going to get together and say, what do we do about this? Of course. What do we make sure we're doing to keep our system going? Well, it's as simple as you're not a slave, you're family. Like, you can't turn on your family. Sure. I'm, your, I'm not just your boss, I'm your friend. And that, you know, it's such a simple trick of language, but it does make it go from, I'm not being exploited, I'm a team member. And that, you know, if everyone's friends, no one's mad, right? It's like, well, I'm kind of stealing my life. Yeah, it seems like a last-ditch effort for them to maintain their power structure. All of it is certainly about how do we make sure the status quo continues. We might not be able to get more, but if we can maintain, the, I mean, they want more. Let's not let's not kid ourselves here. They want more control when it comes to people in the world. But if they can't get it, this much can can be good enough for the future. And I think the, given the historical events of their days, they were they had good reason to be frightened and try to say we need to actually change how we operate and. Uh, throw a bone so to speak ideologically to the people because in like 1969 like france was like revolting right and uh 7374 the oil shock led to uh strikes in the mm-hmm. u.s from u.s steel mm. and other groups for over to to raise their wages in response to inflation mm. things of that nature were going on and i think climate change is one of the few things that's perfect for them to rebrand as we're the good guys because it literally is, hey, I'm not stabbing you. I'm putting a Band-Aid on the wound. Like, it's like, what? That is not, that's not solving well, the fucking problem. I think it's both climate change and pandemics moving forward. They can use them and they can even say that those two things are acting in a feedback loop mm-hmm. with each sure. other. Yeah. And use that as a way to try to push through their systems of control. So in 1987, they uh, they were up to this point. I should say they were still called the European Management Forum, mm-hmm. but they in 1987 they changed into the World Economic Forum. Oh, rebrand 1987. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So since Coke. since like, that time, it's there's been the World Economic Davos Forum every year, pretty much the same format. Klaus Schwab wakes up and like, man, I did so much fucking blow last night. <laughs> did I rename the fucking European <laughs> Management Forum? Are we now the World Economic Forum? Too high to die, baby. <laughs> I just like shit. doing lines in a bathroom with somebody like, no, no, no. It's it's not about Europe, man. It's about the world. <laughs> <laughs> Too high to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to that, I don't know. So since that time, it, I think their history can be summed up in like the history of ideas about like things we'll get into, like the, I got this idea of the fourth, revol- fourth industrial revolution, mm-hmm. the great reset, stakeholder capitalism. Those things are all kind of percolating each year as they deal with world events. Like the collapse of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. was like a huge thing for two separate Davises. Yeah. And, uh, which we've done episodes on. So after like the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, and their discussions there and try to privatize Soviet Union, which we've done some a couple episodes on. Check those out. Uh, in starting in the 90s, I would say they start to really care about um, environmental sustainability, which is 
um, continued into the 2000s after Al Gore's documentary. Bill, Bilderberg uh, person there. Hmm. Um, he's been to Davos too. Um, so they they have this. They start developing this framework for investment, actually called environmental sustainable governance, or ESG. Hmm. And ESG, nobody really cared about it up until probably five years ago, outside of groups that were very closely connected to Davos and to the Bilderbergs and other things like that. But nowadays, um, investment research companies like Morningstar and other groups like that they incorporate ESG into their models of, to say like, oh, how good is a company as an investment? Mm-hmm. Do they care about environmental sustainable governance? Yeah, and what that, they, what that actually means is like, to the extent that they feasibly can while remaining profitable, they still can uh, change their processes, less emissions, and there's like more inclusive um, boardrooms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The beginnings of kind of woke capitalism are percolating with this theory where like if you get enough if you make the boardroom more diverse in terms of racial ethnic and gender background etc and like you care about the environment the corporation will serve people better mm. yeah so like nowadays i uh esg uh they've measured how much esg actually matters in terms of the the return on investment mm-hmm. and it never really did up until like 2017 or so But it's starting to catch on. And they're like, it's becoming like a force in the world, actually. For better or worse, I don't know. So the greenwashing is making a lot of money for people. It's starting to. That makes sense. It's like any startup. The first few years, you're not going to make money. (laughs) But then once people start really understanding the concept. Yeah, so it's... Fortunately, though, I mean, it is is stopping climate change in its tracks. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the... Those are the... ESG's environmental sustainability goals, right? Or no, that's uh, the DS. There's the DSG. Then the United Nations has their the DSGs, which are the developmental sustainability. Yeah, goals, dick right? sucking game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the UN one, and then environmental sustainable governance okay. investing is the other one that uh, Davos popularized. But now the World Economic Forum people, they are taking the lead on those UN sustainability goals. It's wrapped up sort of in their, in their sort yeah. of works and stuff like that. Now mm-hmm. that's how powerful this group is. Yeah, they're working with UN groups to like to to popularize that too. So could you argue that like the WEF like builds a foundation for what they think the future is, and then kind of makes everyone subscribe to said idea? Because it feels I think as it's if- very ideological. It's like it's not it's. It's called an economic forum, but you should just throw that out. And sure, it's, like, sure. it's a place where they build the ideology to guide business leaders for the future. That and like sense. to keep them more because like capitalists can disagree with each other all the time and they don't. They just go their own way or they could qual- uh, cooperate as a group and continue to dominate. And they groom people too. like they have a whole global youth right. leaders yeah. program and stuff like that. At, you know? the, at the beginning of that Harvard piece, he asks the people that are the youth leaders from Harvard to stand up. And so it's it's not just like a group that's the most powerful people. It's also a pipeline. So it's recruiting for them as well as doing their bidding. Yeah, they determine who the exceptional people are mm-hmm. and then put them in positions of unelected power. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with no uh, with no uh, democratic oversight. And they um, they view themselves as superior to 
um, shareholder capitalism because like, well, that was just barbaric. Mm. <laughs> but really, they're, they're equally as undemocratic. Right, right, right. They're the same in that regard. Yeah, but they're just throwing this bone. They're, they've created this facade that they actually care about what the people Yeah, there's, no, there's yeah. no worker control. There's no worker ownership. There's no democracy. So that's the same with shareholder capitalism and them. Right. And it seems like, and I'll, I'll get a couple pull quotes here in a minute, but it seems like, if anything, Klaus Schwab and his cohort there, they very much hate democracy because yeah. the various individual nation-state democracies, flawed as they are, do represent, let's say, a stopgap, a, a potential break on sure. whatever they want to do. You know, if the uh, people in whatever country say, no, we don't want to become cyborgs and work for you. <laughs> and, you know, we don't want you to, like, put a chip in us that you can shut it down <laughs> when we disobey you. Uh, and we, you and just we turn vote. people's money off. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it is. we laugh about this shit, but they really are working towards. No, this they shit. do. They do want these things. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've I think I've talked about this. Like uh, in um, in Revelations, that is like the actual mark of the beast is the idea that they will give you a mark of the beast, and then that they will ban all money, all cash money, right. and they will you will use the bark mark of the beast to buy and sell goods, and if you disobey, they will you will starve. They will turn it off. And like, so that's like a lot of, you know, quote unquote conspiracies are the fact that some of these people seem to be suggesting something very close to that is is a little disturbing. Yeah. Like, is that their fucking source material? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, what's, what's interesting about that is that Revelations was kind of written as a response to the Roman destroy mm -hmm. destruction of Jerusalem. Right. And so and I mean, I, I haven't really looked into that uh, too much, but also like what was it slaves were often tattooed or branded oh that makes sense yeah um so there's probably an element of that also feeding into that <laughs> that's uh, so great to like open revelations be like yo the devil fucking rocks dude <laughs> <laughs> like let's let's do this shit <laughs> well, if there's anyone that thinks that it's fucking still slaps. <laughs> inspiration for klaus's first book right dude. right well these people want global governance yeah you know what i mean so you're right the nation state the, uh, the sovereign nation state is a threat to what they want because they need their sort of uh, agenda to happen in a global capacity in order for it to work. But governance also makes it feel, though, as if they are elected because it's not the case. It's yeah. their, their, no, we, it's us and it's the rich boys. We don't fucking care who you are. If you got money, come on in. Well, they tried to, they, when they started the economic forum, they were like, okay, the world is, it's, they're very, conscious about this in some papers where they're like the world is still governed by nation states mm -hmm. but it, sh it cannot be for long because it's unsustainable for the reasons we laid out and so we need to make it we need to shape the ideology such that the nation states are just one player right. alongside the multinational corporations and NGOs and stuff like that and this is interesting because I think this kind of fits into like uh, some of let's say the left not uh, really being uh, engaged in this or like uh, dismissive of it or whatever is because like you know of course the, the the saying of Marx is workers of the world unite we do believe in internationalism but we believe in internationalism of the workers internationalism of the ruling class is extremely scary and very dangerous when they're talking about ripping away the kind of minimal democratic protections that we have within the nation state and saying like no there's actually going to be a body at Davos that overrides the, the supranational institutions that override the nation states. 
the ultimate centralization of power. Right. And you even see that, obviously, with like, you know, NAFTA, the World Trade Organization, the IMF, these these separate national institutions do exist to remove, I would argue, the European Union. They remove sovereignty from the nation states that are within them. You know, Greece can't have a monetary policy because the European Union controls it. I was just going to say that when you brought that up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And their very first sponsor, well, quasi-sponsor, was the European Commission in 1971. There you go. So, yeah, right from the start and through to today. So, bringing it back to today, since that time, they've been really preoccupied with, like, the the future of humanity, almost. (laughs) With, uh, like, the fourth industrial revolution stuff. And uh, to carry that off, uh, Sean? Uh, Yeah, so the fourth industrial revolution, we've been uh, been referring to it. You should just explain it here. Uh, John sent me this uh, very interesting article, uh, Klaus Schwab and his great fascist reset, uh, written at uh, winteroak.org.uk. And uh, it, it goes through a lot of the writings of uh, Klaus Schwab, his, his various books he's written. The author like read all of them and has a lot of interesting pull quotes. We'll go through a couple of the pull quotes. But I did just want to give the author credit for just like absolutely as like a comic. You want to open with your strongest material. <laughs> he does not beat around the bush here. Uh, this first paragraph of his description. Uh, born in Ravensburg in 1938, Klaus Schwab is a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police state, a police state regime built on fear and violence, on brainwashing and control, on propaganda and lies, on imperialism and eugenics, on dehumanization and quote unquote disinfection, on a chilling and grandiose vision of a new order that would last a thousand years. And uh, uh, and when we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, this was the title of of one of Klaus Schwab's books. Uh, the the simplest version that I understand it as is the first industrial revolution was steam power. Mm-hmm. The second industrial revolution was electricity. The third is the digital age that we're in the middle of now. Right. And Klaus Schwab seems to believe the fourth one is going to be transhumanism, where, you know, we get we become cyborgs. You get your little cyborg arms for yeah. super strength. You get a, a chip in your brain that lets you remember and have a 300 IQ. It's the <laughs> idea is that fourth industrial revolution is transhumanism. I think the... Um, he, he wanted to call it the fifth industrial revolution, but Hilda was like, we've been over this. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go, there hasn't been a fourth one yet. He said fourth industrial revolution because fourth Reich didn't sound. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's so good. Uh, we might want to, before we just, uh, uh, John and I have some quotes from this article that, uh, or a couple quotes from the article, a couple quotes from um, uh, Klaus Schwab's writing that we'll just kind of go through here. But we might want, he was on the Charlie Rose show in 2015. Uh, for some reason, hasn't been back yet. But uh, oh. he, he was on Char- Charlie. should invite him. <laughs> <laughs> he was on Charlie Rose in 2015. And uh, there's a clip of uh, him explaining in his own words the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's about a minute and a half. So we'll just explain it. And we'll let Colonel Clink tell you uh, in his own words what exactly this is, what it means. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. And offers certain kinds of possibilities that have to be careful about you know yeah. when you began to when you began to do that kind of gene editing some people worry that you are changing what it means to be human that's 
it's a problem. And yeah. uh, it, uh, of course, the new uh, industrial revolution offers us many opportunities, but it raises many fold questions on the ethical, but even legal uh, implications. And we have to be prepared for it. And that's what we want to do in Davos next year. Talk about technology and how the ways it can be deployed, uh, you know, that contribute to growth rather than exacerbate unemployment. How will that implement itself? It's a big question mark because uh, there is a fear that uh, technology, robots, uh, just to take yeah. one yeah. You get productivity from machines. Exactly. And it replaces maybe um, the workforce or jobs faster than we can replace them with new jobs. Not everybody can be a robot polisher and so yeah. on. So yeah. there will be new jobs. Did he say robot polisher? Yeah. 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 Did you see the patronization in that? It's like, we will find them the new jobs. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. who does he think that he is? And the way that he talks about this technology, just because we can do something doesn't mean we have to do it. Right. But it kind of comes off as like a comic that's riffing for time where it's like, uh, <laughs> in the future, robots will solve some of these problems. <laughs> well, it's, it's also that thing in the argument about autom automation where it's like uh, the people who are arguing against it take this bizarre thing where they're like, Oh no! If we automate too much, then you know, all the all the poor people won't have something to do with their time. Right, right. And the, instead of like uh, automation can be, um, you know, a good thing if the benefits are just distributed equally among society. But instead, they say, oh, it's taking jobs as a way to, uh, kind of. I guess centralized power even more mm -hmm. when you yeah. change when you frame it that way or like throw a bunch of people onto UBI which I think could be a good thing as long as there's an economy on top of it right. where people can still make their own money but if there's mm -hmm. no possibility to do that and people are just locked into this UBI thing mm -hmm. that's going to come with all types of strings attached to it and I think it's actually a form of economic slavery and those strings are going to be new types of technology that are used like when we get, if we go towards a cashless society, you're going to get your UBI, but only if you jump through certain hoops in right, order to get right. it. And you can only use your money within, you know, five miles of where you live mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you've been, you've had some thought crimes or something like <laughs> sure, that. Sure, sure, yeah. Know what I mean, <laughs> you didn't clap for she enough. <laughs> <laughs> and like some of these things that John's talking about, we might see in the next handful of months in terms of uh, the unemployment running out, to evictions, to the pandemic. And but also the beginning of well this fucking new world order if if we're surprisingly correct you see little things poking up now in terms of like COVID response because Australia for whatever reason has been very draconian right. with their lockdowns Americans we're not getting a ton of news about it but it's been really like a hellscape over there for them and now this newest thing there's a new app that they have where they can they have to. They have to, they can only go without within five kilometers of where they live. And then they have to, there's a facial recognition app now that also has a GPS thing right. that they have to check in with every certain amount of time. I know it sounds made up, but it's a real thing that's happening in Australia right now. And that would be something that would be like a prototype of what we can look at in the fourth industrial revolution. Because the fourth industrial revolution includes things like IoT, like the Internet of Things. Like once the once 5G comes online, the fifth generation of telecom that allows for the bandwidth for the Internet of Things. That's all the sensors and all the devices to be able mm, to communicate with right. each other. That's what IOT is. Right. Then there's IOB, which is the Internet of Bodies, 
which has to do <laughs> oh cool with, yeah that sounds awesome <laughs> that sounds real fun right <laughs> That's that, that has to do with like implantables and stuff like that and just oh. different sort of things like like uh, nano medicine where you can kind of like where so you'll remember to take your pills or they can track that you're taking your pills right, sure. right. some sort of nano pill that you take that can then have like some sort of feedback back to your mm -hmm. telemedicine mm -hmm. provider. Like all this crazy shit is awesome. what the fourth industrial revolution would mean. It's basically everything is digitally mediated. It has to do with AI as well, obviously. Um so basically, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. It's also increasing the use of synthetic biology, mm. so things like uh, and bioengineering. So like literally, you know, being re-engineered at our cellular yep. level if we're not careful. And just like with the Internet of Things, like this connects to a couple of things where it's like the the purpose of the World Economic Forum is to find profit-making opportunities right. with global warming or whatever. And it's also what you say with like just because you can do something, you don't have to. These guys, Klaus Schwab and all of them, they've talked about like, yeah, they want your washing machine connected mm -hmm, to the internet. Mm -hmm. They want your microwave connected to the internet. There's no reason for that, except now it can sell your data. Yeah. If you're, you know, if, if you're whatever is, if everything in your house is connected to the internet, well, it's, you know, that data is valuable to people. They want to know like how much you're doing laundry, mm -hmm. you know, what you're eating, like all of these things can be sold to advertisers to build a profile of you that they can theoretically make money off of. Yeah, and toaster that, that records how much you jerk off. Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, I, there's, there's things don't where Don't look there's... at the Amazon Alexa in the next room. <laughs> Dude, there's things with like sensors in the toilet that can tell yeah. how your gut biome mm -hmm. is. Sure. How you, just how you shit. It's unbelievable. Right, right. And they always try to pitch it as like, you know, it, it's for your personal health. Right, oh, right. Good. You know, it, it, which is a huge slap in the face, especially in America where it's like, oh, it's for our health. The system that, you know, if you don't have enough money, you just die in the streets. Yeah. So, or the system that for your health, when you get a vaccine, you get two Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, some of that, that sounds like both exciting and terrifying. But how much of this is just Klaus just blowing smoke and like it's just not even gonna, like, what, what makes it a revolution versus like, okay, there's a bunch of technologies and, um, it's a fair point. Like, the uh, Silicon Valley in the 70s and the starting 60s and 70s starting the third revolution. Mm -hmm. Well, the future like, is unwritten. Uh, people, some people were very frightened of that and then, you know, we, here we are. We, we got through it. Well, I guess. I, <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, I, I think it's easy to argue that in that era of uh, 50s and 60s when Silicon Valley and all that stuff is starting to tell them you can order food from a square in your pocket, they'd be like, that'll never happen. You know what I mean? Whereas in the same vein of everything we're talking about, you know, 40 to 60 years from now, it's if if technology is manipulated less enough for the future, then, uh, yeah, less than that, then this it could be very possible. I think part of it, too, is like, you know, when we talk about data mining for advertising, I think advertising itself is a bit of a red herring. Like the ultimate goal is more of like social control where mm -hmm. you can trace everybody's habits and what they do. And. You know, we, we talked about this a bit uh, a couple of years ago on our Google episode. It's it's based on this kind of uh, optimistically this misinterpretation of behaviorism right. or uh, an overapplication of behaviorism that you can kind of condition people to behave in a certain way to control them. And fortunately, that's kind of bullshit. Um, people can still have autonomy, uh, but that does seem to be uh, a big part of the goal in in creating these data mining systems. Yeah, and uh, like, Steve, you're right. Like, a lot of what Klaus Schwab says is just like bullshit and blowing smoke and stuff. But we do have to consider this in the fact that it's like, this is the guy who's the head of the most powerful international 
meeting group of the ruling class. So it's like, yeah, you know, let's say, I don't know, 20, 50, even 70% of it is bullshit. If, you know, 30% of it is we are going to be able to implement this. Uh, so it's like uh, the article that, uh, again, uh, Klaus Schwab and his great fascist reset, it's very good about talking about how Klaus Schwab and his writings, he always talks about narrative. And narrative is, it's, it's code word for ruling class propaganda. Like that's what they, uh, that's what they want to get together for every year. They all want to get on the same page about these are our goals. How do we sell them to the public? How do we get right. our goals implemented? And that's just about narrative, about making sure people see their goals in the way they want uh, the people to see them. Yeah, and the technological capabilities that I was just touching on and stuff like that, that stuff exists, Right. you know? Like uh, some of it, I know he was trained as an engineer, but I think it's been a very long time, <laughs> safe to say, since, <laughs> right. since he's done any actual engineering himself. And so, like, except when he's social, uh, <laughs> except for social, but like mechanical, say, uh, he and I say that because, like, when he writes on automation, he's mm -hmm. saying things that are just like at odds with the field of automation, sure. Where it's like he says they might work, maybe they'll replace workers doing physical tasks. Well, um, so far, not, but like, for he could have talked about like GPT 3 which is an AI that helps you write stuff mm -hmm. for articles and whatnot. And that's pretty creepy. Mm. But the fact that he doesn't mention like ways in which AI really could change things like versus like robots are coming for your jobs. Well, maybe that's like a purpose. Is that a purposeful thing to get people scared so that they accept their message and he's blowing smoke in that way? Or does he just like not know what he's talking about? I think he just talks in the broad strokes. You know what I mean? He's just the big idea guy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a, there's this great researcher named Allison McDowell who really has covered this stuff at length, independent researcher. And she was talking about some folks who got into Davos, uh, meeting in 2016. And a lot of these like, um, CEOs of corporations were talking about how they're actually ready to go with the automation thing. And they could get rid of a lot of the workers, mm. but they're just not doing it yet because the middle class would totally burn. Mm. So they're just trying to like hold off on it and figure out uh, what to do with people. To, and then that'll kind of tie into more people getting thrown onto UBI. Yeah, I mean, like getting robots to do physical tasks beyond very, very, very simple things has been a real issue for roboticists. And like Amazon has the best they can manage is they bought that one company that moves um, like pallets, like pallets yeah. of stuff to where people are. And then the people do the, the actual picking. Mm. Yeah. 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 So I don't know how. And I, so like, I don't know. I just that's a separate thing. Like I'm I think the like factory workers losing their jobs to robots is a little overblown. But in some ways, the AI thing like with GPT-3 does kind of sink, make me think like, oh, maybe. Maybe uh, it's the journalists who should be worried. <laughs> well, it's also like the more complex. Oh, yeah. That shit's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Writing their essays for them. And stuff. Yeah. How like a large percentage of news may be just AI based and stuff like that. We're talking like 90%. Mm -hmm. So like I didn't. Yeah. So like when I hear Klaus just kind of like speaking in this super general way, I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, dude. That's what like, Klaus does. <laughs> yeah. One thing about that, though, the AI writing, I, I took broadcast journalism classes and uh 
in that for a writing for radio, you would just rewrite the AP wire to then be vocally friendly for the radio. Basically, a lot of the news is just rewritten news. And so one of the things about the scientific limitations of AI taking over like employees for factories and stuff is one of those things where part of me goes, they could just lie about it. Like if tomorrow Bezos was like, we have full AI factories and secretly it's just people that are fucking yeah. enslaved in those factories, There's, we wouldn't fucking know. And they, you, oh, they do have AI um, saying how fast people should work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, they, like, an AI is setting the threshold for right. below which you get fired. I, I so they're in that sense, they are an AI factor. I think we're in a current position where AI and what it can do tomorrow is being like outsourced to people. Like we talk about, like in the future, if you do a crime, they'll find you immediately, right? And like you'll see on Twitter, like some random person takes a video of a guy, like you know, yelling a racial slur or something, and then Twitter will find that person. We are the AI of the future right now, and it's figuring out how to make that from a computer but right now it's just us doing it if you know what i mean it's like a very weird sort of the eye yeah yeah it, i mean it's <laughs> like it's not i anyway but, nice um but i um one last thing about the everything collecting data that i wanted to touch on was that it does seem to me that all of the influencers and like youtube vloggers are just better at big brother than the government and that's why we pay them to exist because to track all of us requires people to film themselves 24 seven. And these idiots are getting paid, you know, you know, in some cases way too much fucking money, but like, it's just useful for them to learn how people function, including if their entertainment is just watching a person exist. Well, sure. I don't knowing, know, guys. Knowing where people are and what they're doing is definitely valuable for governments. Yeah. And so that would help in the stakeholder model mm -hmm. for governments to let the companies in if they offer those products to them. The main thing I learned from like all this uh, cyborg research shit I was doing is like Klaus Schwab, he definitely played the game Deus Ex Human Revolution and was like, <laughs> man, I hate that you have to play as the villain. <laughs> I hate that you're trying to stop this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, continuing, uh, just like we'll go through a couple quotes or uh, some, some interesting poll quotes of like the writings of Klaus Schwab, again from this article, Klaus Schwab and his great fascist reset. Uh, the, the author talks about how the World Economic Forum, they uses a lot of cliches, a lot of corporate spin, a lot of greenwashing. But as we mentioned, you know, the goal is profit and exploitation. Klaus Schwab in his 2016 book, Shaping the Future of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, A Guide to Building a Better World. Uh, you know, he kind of like talks happily about how like the uberization of work uh, means that uh, human cloud platforms, as human cloud platforms classify workers as self-employed, they are for the moment free of the requirement to pay minimal wage, <laughs> employer taxes, and social benefits. And, you know, he seems uh, honestly rather happy about that. Uh, and then he also talks about retirement. Quote, aging is an economic challenge because unless retirement ages are drastically increased so that older members of society can continue to contribute to the workforce, uh, an economic imperative that has many uh, economic benefits, that working age population falls at the same time the percentage of dependent elders increases, unquote. Hmm. So he wants to raise entire retirement ages, and he's very much thrilled about the uberization of the economy. However, he does seem, he's concerned about the potential for technology to create class conflict. Sure. And his, his whole goal is like on behalf of the ruling class to how do we manage this? How do we manage class conflict to make sure that we don't create a backlash that we are not able to stop? Hmm. 
Yeah, and how you do that is convince convincing people that stakeholder capitalism right. is uh, is good, and that global governance is good, mm -hmm. and you also scare people uh, with whatever wedge issues you can, <laughs> and that's how you do it. He just has to change his first name to Santa. I think that'll change everything. Santa Schwab. His oh shit, first name's Klaus. Never mind. He I should shift them back. Yes, right. Yeah, put Santa <laughs> in the front. Let's move on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's also for like people like him when they talk about, you know, um, delaying retirement. Like they, they also have this tunnel vision where they're like, well, I'm not retiring. Right. Whereas their life is, you know, maybe type some words into a document, um, then go to a meeting where the after party is run by Jeffrey Epstein and like, <laughs> you know, then get on a, a private jet and they count all of that as work. Uh, and yeah. like it, it's. So to them, it's like, okay, well, it's it's fine to to work into your old age. I'm doing it because, you know, he's not like stocking a supermarket shelf. Yeah, I think you could replace Klaus with GPT-3. <laughs> yeah, probably. They could write his keynotes pretty easily. And they might be doing it now. <laughs> yeah, that's he, he, they could. he probably uses it a bit already. Yeah, yeah. And uh, continuing on about uh, the narrative, I mentioned they, he uses this term narrative as code word for propaganda or euphemism for propaganda. He talks about his fourth industrial revolution, and uh, he, says, he says it's a tragedy that, quote, the world lacks a consistent, positive, and common narrative that outlines the opportunities and challenges of the fourth industrial revolution, <laughs> a narrative that is essential if we are to empower a diverse set of individuals and communities and avoid a popular backlash against the fundamental changes underways. I think that last part is very important. Avoid a popular backlash against the fundamental changes that are underways. They want to make sure they have a narrative so that they can not have some sort of popular revolution that's going to stop their particular plan for the world. He says, collaborations are needed to create positive, common, and hope-filled narratives. Mm. So this is like what they're doing at Davos. They are getting together and setting the narrative. They're setting the ruling class propaganda, very much conscious of the way we talk about the things that we are trying to do will impact whether or not there is any popular outcry to stop us. Yeah, and they have reach. They have reach in terms of media presence and stuff like that. You know, you got the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution on the cover of Time magazine. Mm -hmm. You got all sorts of uh, articles and from different, you know, publications that are actually cut out to the World Economic Forum that are funded by them and stuff like that. So they try to present themselves as this, uh, as this solutions-based uh, group that's trying to help everybody, but, uh, you know, with like, Lily Singh and the Davos Daily wrap up and all this insanity. But uh, it really is just about concentrating more wealth and more power and more resources into the hands of the 1%. It's very simple. Now, what does uh, the Great Reset mean, at least from like Klaus's perspective? Or like, what is his kind of propagandized version of what this means? The Great Reset is a complete restructuring of the economy and the social compact in order to replace stakeholder capitalism with um i'm sorry replace shareholder capitalism with stakeholder capitalism okay. and i know that it's like yeah but what does that mean and it's like <laughs> i know <laughs> but that's the whole thing <laughs> you know it's just the ideas <laughs> that's how they get you it's just like these floating platitudes of like we it's a more inclusive version of capitalism it's more sustainable it's more diverse <laughs> mm -hmm. you know what i mean it takes into account all of the stakeholder does it does it seem clear now it makes sense yeah right? yeah lgbtq friendly <laughs> yeah 
I A L G B T Q I A plus. I A plus. That's right. I do think that some of the spin that we're seeing for people, the commoners, to understand it is also working on the elites. Like similar to Elizabeth Holmes in the Theranos situation, where she duped uh, a whole bunch of uh, white rich nerds to buy that she's awesome and doing something really innovative. Well, a brown man was abusing her to do that. That's right. Well, you know, we get it done. But like, I think that uh, when it comes to Klaus, he he's just an ideas man who's bullshitting his way to the top. I think you're totally right. And I think a lot of people who are involved with the World Economic Forum, they're not all just like twirling their mustaches. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think they feel like they're special. Yeah. They're part of this special group. And they're using their power and influence to take on the world's problems and help everybody mm-hmm. out and da 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 What's great on well, a resume? World Economic Forum. Wow, you, you must be doing the Lord's work. It's, yeah. it's important to understand about yeah. ruling class propaganda is it, of course, serves a financial interest, but a lot of them do get high on their own supply. Of course. Like James yeah. Angleton <laughs> was the head of the CIA counterintelligence, like one of the most powerful men in U.S. intelligence. He believed Henry Kissinger was a communist. <laughs> like, you know, they hear all this shit about, oh, the communist infiltrators, like a lot of them buy that and and get into it. So it's like a lot of them probably convinced themselves, probably truly do believe this is not just about money or whatever. They have some like ideology that justifies their profit making, but right. uh, it doesn't mean it's not just about money at mm-hmm, the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to, I, I think that like if you, if you balance calling out the World Economic Forum as, yes, it is a literal conspiracy, but also a lot of people inside of it are high on their own supply, like you said. Yeah. Like, they start to believe their own bullshit. And um, so they make mistakes, basically. And, like, it's like, okay, fourth industrial revolution, this seems partially bullshit. Mm. But then again, this is an extremely powerful group, so if they just say to build shit, people will start building yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. So, like, if they trade, if they start saying automation is the key to maintain control or something, people will start trying to innovate new robots or something. That's true, but they are also constrained by just the material realities. And so, like, while they, um, you know, have these plans, um, so far, like, the system as it exists now is, uh, it's as much a product of, like, their machinations as it is, like, this is the most effective way for the ruling class to kind of exert their control and it kind of more or less naturally fell into that uh situation and so yeah like uh state like we just said stakeholder capitalism didn't really go beyond academia for almost 30 years Mm. it was just kind of bounced around in industrial organization journals and shit for like decades before it caught on and now it's making its move yeah (laughs) finally dusting off a classic and since like 2018 or so it's really been in the news a lot actually it takes 30 years of work to make an overnight success (laughs) (laughs) stakeholder capitalism so they're definitely not infallible (laughs) i bring that up to just say like yeah it is it's a little conspiracy but they're just you know they're still definitely fallible right and uh a lot of their ideas don't catch on at all and that's why they're so afraid of like popular backlash to, you know, fourth industrial revolution or whatever is because they know like, yeah, large organized groups of people can beat them. So, you know, don't right. uh, never convince yourself that these people are omnipotent because yeah. they don't know what's good for them. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And it's the sort of thing where if their reputation keeps getting gets bashed, gets right. really damaged, then they lose. That means so much to them. Their mm-hmm. reputation is how they get access by creating exclusivity for these different groups. If they become this laughing stock, which I think they rightly should be, 
then they lose that. They have a very precarious, loose mandate, so to speak. Um, and it's their discretion that allows them to have their power right, right. now. Um, yeah. Their an anonymity in terms of their global control is a huge strength to how they can they are able to operate. And I think exactly why a person like Greta Thunberg is invited and celebrated in their ecosystem, because if the focus is on her, because people are split on her regardless of, of, of what she is or isn't, um, and it just takes the attention off the group itself when it's like, Greta Thunberg, she's at Davos. Like literally, everyone knows what Davos is, but what the group is, is, is a much more difficult thing to even explain, let alone fucking comprehend. You want to know my theory of why they let her in? Hmm. It's kind of like when a king has a court jester <laughs> and the je they allow the jester to insult them sure. because it's a way for them to get a beat on what the commoners <laughs> think of them. Hmm. Well, they wanted, no, seriously. they wanted come town, but credit had to do instead. Yeah. Yeah. So like they want, they let Thunberg go in there and say like, you guys aren't doing shit against climate change. You're the reason we're in this mess, et cetera. Right. And which is, I'm glad that message is frankly necessary. I mean, somebody's got to say it. Sure. And so it really resonates with people. But I think they also kind of like it because it's like, all right, well, this is what people think of us. Yeah, but also like their plan for climate change is not going. I mean, it will. It may. They may be able to reduce emissions, carbon emissions and keep the ruling structure. Uh, but that will be a nightmare world. <laughs> like. That's yeah. what they want. To that implement. will be a highly geoengineered fucking yeah, crazy I think they, ass scenario. Ma many of the Davos crowd, I think, legitimately do worry about environmental degradation. Sure. Yeah, it's just it's always couched in terms of like, and how do I maintain control? Yeah, and and and, and, and uh, accumulate wealth. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. One more or a couple more quotes from this article, Klaus Schwab and his great fascist reset, which will be in the show notes if you want to read it. It's very interesting. Um, uh, the author makes a very interesting observation, which is that Klaus Schwab throughout his writings, he always seems to use the term value instead of profit. Hmm. Like uh, he talks about creating value for stakeholders instead of saying making profit for business. Sure, sure. So it's like you see so much of this guy's language is very carefully laundered. Uh, ruling class interest in you know things that sound more benign creating value for stakeholders who's against that uh, he talks about uh, Klaus Schwab writes <laughs> quote all things will be smart and connected to the internet uh, and this will extend to animals as quote sensors wired in cattle can communicate to each other through a mobile phone network <laughs> Uh, he says, quote, establishing trust in the data, data and algorithms used to make decisions <laughs> will be vital. Citizen concerns over privacy and establishing accountability in business and legal structures will require adjustments in thinking, unquote. And again, like, it's very... What if, what if your cow was a phone? <laughs> <laughs> it's very sinister, but it's also just, like, so fucking boring that sure. I'm like, I'm... I'm very grateful to the author of this piece for taking the time to go through and get these pull quotes. Dude, he read all of this guy's books. I could yeah, never God do bless it. bless this guy for doing that. He sat through and read all of Klaus Schwab's mm -hmm. books. It could network our cattle together with like mobile phone technology. It okay. sounds like the thing that the guy in uh, No Country for Old Men was using to kill people, but right. like it's an app where like it's just <laughs> built into the cow and you just... It's like a game where, like, once you get all the Tetris blocks and, like, four in a row are gone, like, you can kill a cow. Yeah, that's a decent question. Do you guys think that all of the future tech that tracks all of us that will be in the near future will be tested on livestock first? 
<laughs> will it go through them before it goes through us? Well, isn't yeah. there the thing where like certain livestock are already implanted with stuff like that so they can be GPS tracked and already, stuff like that? They already do something like that, I think. Yeah, they do that for livestock. So maybe they could do it for us soon. Fingers crossed. Well, like, you know, every six months or so, you'll see a, a, a article that's like, oh, they implanted a chip in a monkey that allows to control a computer with its <laughs> right, brain. Right. And you're supposed to be like, oh, cool. That's, yeah, yeah. 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 They'll definitely do stuff where it'll be like, you can get a chip in your brain and you'll you'll never be lost. All you have to do is look at any screen and it'll tell you where you need to go yeah, while secretly where you have to go. Is where and they when want we you say to you be. can get a chip, we mean you will get a chip. Right, yeah. Right. Well, there's certain there's weird stuff that exists that I don't know a ton about. It's like there's smart dust is a thing. I don't know what that is. But smart dust is basically cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> coke. I would love to know how much coke goes into Davos. <laughs> oh. I so wish we could get like, that number. Greta brings it in on the boat. Pounds. That's why. Yeah, that's why boat. she's on a boat. Mm -hmm. She can't get it on a plane. Right. <laughs> Davos, if you're listening, if Greta gets too big for her britches and her fees are too high, Grubstakers will come to Davos. <laughs> yeah. We'll court jester, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, to we'll totally roast you. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just give us the real Bolivian shit. No fentanyl. Yeah, right. That's all we ask. Yeah, yeah. Smart dust are like very small, like size of like a piece of rice, little sensors that have like uh, their electromagnetic sort of little devices that can just be like put all over a certain area and then it can just give back all sorts of real time data about. The oh, sort interesting. Of thing. Oh, so kind of like nanobots. Yeah, kind of like a nanobot like type. Like where people are in a room and stuff. Yeah, or it can like do stuff to be like, okay, is this is the is this is there a risk of there an earthquake happening or something mm -hmm. like that? So it can be for different sort of like uh, things like that. So I don't totally. There'd be understand. some good uses. Yeah, so there as could well be as good bad uses. Good, yeah, potential good uses, potential horrifying uses to like track us in real time, like a, a new level of Uber surveillance and stuff right. like that. And like uh, uh, Schwab is uh, obviously he addresses, you know, privacy concerns and this kind of stuff and uh, possible citizen backlash to, you know, 5G and surveillance tech and such. And he basically argues it's worth it as like crime will decrease as a result of facial recognition sure. tech, as a result of AI. And, you know, it's it's debatable, but it is also something like how are we able to live in a free society when we essentially have an oligarchy that has you know, this very advanced facial recognition technology and all this stuff where you don't have anonymity anymore. I argue no. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> but there's another thing called smart tattoos where, yeah. where you can get dye, like, uh, cast underneath your skin, mm -hmm. and then they can read from that if you have all of your up-to-date medical records mm -hmm. and stuff like that. They're actually testing that on uh, people in West Africa right now. and But it's like... Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is funding it in conjunction with MasterCard. Oh, right, because they—I think that it's <laughs> <laughs> so creepy, Wait, this right? Is real? Yes, yes. Look so, it up. Some of this, I believe, the original intent was like it would be a passport for you. This would allow you to travel freely. Because that's how they always like mask this. It's no, no, no. You don't have to carry a passport anymore. It's tattooed on your body, and then yeah. slowly, it's yeah. like also this is everything we need to know. This is—that's also like the plot of the Constant Gardener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know the worst thing in the world, like getting the passport twice a year when you go to the airport? What if you just had a chip in your body and we use it to track you and you don't have to get your passport anymore? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And this technology is being developed at MIT mm -hmm. and funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Right. They have their fingers in every aspect of global health. It's unbelievable yeah. when you start to look at it. It's their tentacles, if you will. Mm -hmm. It Because it's very... 
the marriage of tech and health is one that should alarm people more. Because, you know, on surface, it's like, no, we want you to be healthy. But in reality, it's like, no, no we want to control the population. There's no, there's no middle line between. Why them. not both? Yeah, right. It's a stronger marriage than the marriage of Bill and Melinda Gates. <laughs> 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 Uh, That's hilarious. But yeah, as John was saying, uh, Schwab in his writing, he uh, uh, dreams of, quote, active implantable microchips that break the skin barrier of our bodies, quote, smart tattoos, quote, biological computing, and quote, custom designed organisms, unquote, is the ability to write DNA, mm. these organisms. Uh, and then, uh, of course, he mainly is mainly interested in this is a profit profit making opportunity for business he says quote it heralds new industries and systems for value creation and quote represents an opportunity to create an entire new system of value in the fourth industrial revolution and again value is slang for profit for multinational corporations i like that he's using marxist language i think he's a comrade <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you're so right it's all about creating these new markets you know and using technology to do so and it's crazy stuff, man. It's like they want to put sensors in our gut bacteria. Yeah. Well, I don't I want sensors in my gut bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't do that, then I can't uh, use my UBI. And no. I'm on UBI because my job as a stand-up comedian yep. has been taken by some AI who's like <laughs> way funnier than me. Yeah. By you guys not laughing at that, clearly showing wow, wow, that John. that's the case. <laughs> so painful. You're, take um, my livelihood, AI. <laughs> take it. I don't even deserve to be here. Your mic will shut off because <laughs> they don't. They don't. They know that your gut bacteria doesn't have enough of the machines in there. Oh yeah, my gut bacteria doesn't have a high enough social credit score right. to allow me to talk into the mic for That's my podcast. Like, yeah, where's the nano? The nanobots. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been eating too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I was killing the nanobots. Well, that, that's also the thing with the gut bacteria is like, or, you know, something like that where it's like, oh, we want to monitor your health where right. it's like gut bacteria, uh, you know, people throw it around as like this thing that has to do with like the obesity epidemic. But when like the obesity epidemic is just because uh, the, the way that our food system works, we're eating food that is terrible for us because it's cheap and easy to produce and um, distribute widely um, at a low enough rate that it, it, um, it kills you. It yeah, kills you slowly. But, but ultimately it kills you slowly. They yeah. want to be able to give you diarrhea. If <laughs> a diarrhea button <laughs> in the White House. <laughs> they just have a big screen with a map of the United States. Yeah, like, and they're, they use all of zoom in, You zoom in like Google Maps. Yeah. And then you can press someone's, <laughs> yeah. someone's face and give them diarrhea. That's what they use all the technology of the fourth. Like in the middle of. Just to give people diarrhea. Yeah. Right? In the middle of your 20 minutes. It'll be like you could pay more for a bonus account on Twitter that makes it lets you give people you don't like diarrhea. <laughs> My wife makes this like turmeric ginger uh, concoction and she put on Instagram just like as a fucking lark. And Instagram was like, you're playing the law and order theme on this. So we're banning it from 70 countries. And she was like, I wonder why they're doing that. I'm like, your last slide is like this helps with inflammation and a few other things. So, of course, Instagram's like, uh, no, 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 no. We need people in pain. If people are in pain, they will do whatever you want them to do. Comfort is the poison for them, for the elite. But for us, if we're in pain, they're in power, basically. Yeah, like you have to have a certain level of comfort to take the time to find out about the World Economic Forum. Yeah, you really do. And the yep. Fourth Industrial mm -hmm. Revolution and the Great Reset. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the diarrhea button, yeah. <laughs> which I think we have uncovered today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do any research for the pod if... 
there's a there's a diarrhea button. All of us come down with diarrhea over the next few episodes, and yeah. we're like, oh, "The fucking found us, bro." You guys know that there's a eugenics aspect to this thing, too. Of course, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's a kind of a eugenics revival thing happening. He's got this quote where he says, "It's the remix." Yeah. What the this guy with this accent? <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Yeah. He says. That it is now far easier to manipulate with precision the human genome within viable embryos means that we are likely to see the advent of designer babies in the future who possess particular traits or who are resistant to a specific disease. And, you know, what's going to happen there is like rich people are going to have like a designer baby, but then it's going to come out with like a crab claw. And so then they'll just throw it in the garbage disposal and try again. Yeah. (laughs) Eggs and omelets. (laughs) (laughs) when i say this guy has played like deus ex human revolution i think he probably has (laughs) and i do recommend the game i mean it deals with kind of like you know dystopian future where it's like yeah some people are not going to want to become machines it's just a reality yeah but if you don't want to become a machine then do you have to be like a subhuman like you're a chimpanzee compared to a like uh (laughs) human i guess you know what i mean or right and that's the plot of the game you know it's kind of like conflict between these two groups but also like schwab is clearly thinking about this he writes quote inequality will separate those who adapt from those who resist and he's basically saying those who resist becoming a cyborg right uh the material winners and losers in all senses of the words the winners may even benefit from some form of radical human improvement generated by certain segments of the fourth industrial revolution such as genetic engineering from which the losers will be deprived this risks creating class conflicts and other clashes unlike anything we have seen before. Unquote. Big comrade. <laughs> Some of this also does come from the fear of youth that, that is uh, in the eugenics movement in that they're afraid there's more younger people in these other brown and black countries and they will take over us because we'll be too old to defend ourselves. And for something like this where it's the designer baby, it's to quell some of the fears of we won't be young and strong enough to take out the those people that are younger than us. Because part of me doesn't believe that. Um, so it's racist. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, as, as as simple as it's racist. It's it's saying these black and brown people could become more powerful than us because they're younger than us. So we need to uh, double our chances of supremacy by becoming robots and creating super babies. That's right. That's crazy. But he isn't. Is he saying like? And that's why everyone should be making super babies, not just the few. The thing is, is that is that what he wants? A lot of this is based on the richest people can super afford babies to have for the many. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent, like, the one percent, the Corbin ninety-nine percent of the super babies. <laughs> <laughs> Does he want everyone to have designer babies that are have one hundred and forty IQs? Everyone that's rich. He wants them to have designer babies. I think. I thought he was warning us about that. So, like, what does he want in like response? Oh, so it's probably going to be a thing where it's like if you're rich, you get a good designer baby, but if you're uh, not rich, you get like a a, a Ford designer baby. It seems like I mean, yeah, like a Ford Focus. Model. Yeah, he, he wants rich people to be able to do their designer babies and genetic engineering in peace. And part of how he wants that is he wants all of this tech to be rolled out for like panopticon surveillance mm-hmm. for global governance in order to suppress class conflict. Because like what he was just saying in that quote I read is like, you know, the poor people, whether they want to or not, they won't be able to afford becoming cyborgs. And as we were saying, yeah, they will become maybe like chimpanzees compared to these like new 
like half human, half robots. So how do you control this mass of like slave labor essentially? Well, like he talks about like really dystopian shit. And, you know, like I'll read this this little sentence or two here. And you can tell me, you know, some of it, it's like, well, maybe he's just too high. He doesn't know what's really going to happen. But at the same time, you don't really know. He says, quote, as capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies uh, to use technology to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, Mm -hmm. assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. Even crossing a national border might one day involve a detailed brain scan to assess an individual's security risk. So it does seem like, you know, he's really, I guess we don't know if the technology will be there, but he is very interested in using technology to create a dystopian global governance system. What's In addition to that, also there are people actively working to make this technology real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what will probably happen with something like a, a brain scan at the border is they'll make a very convincing argument that it is an accurate brain scan, but then they'll be <laughs> right, like, right. oh, yeah, you you're going in the truck like it, 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 it's just kind of a smokescreen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, I go I try to go into Canada. And they just do the brain scan. There's like a bunch of dark night scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, like maybe a little bit of economics, but mostly like from those movies. You like, you go. That was your brain scan? Yeah. They're like, oh, this, this guy is twisted. He just watched they still, They're like, we're letting him in. <laughs> He's like, you can go through. Yeah. <laughs> you can go through. You're a cool dude. That's a national movie of Canada. Right. <laughs> you like, you try to cross the border into Canada and the border guard's like, so you thought about like doing anything besides just rewatching Evangelion every month? <laughs> you know, there's other TV, there's other anime. Yeah, there's there. just like there's Neon Genesis memes <laughs> that are just going through my head rapid fire. Nothing and, like that's Eva. all it is. But there's no subversive thoughts, it's so like, they let I mean, me through. That, that is like this guy's plan is like end of Evangelion, um, right? Without Shinji fucking it up for <laughs> everyone. <laughs> uh, the human, the human instrumentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also a lot of this, too, is exploitation of the developing world. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who still are not billions that are still even not on the Internet. What? (laughs) I know. I know. So the idea of getting them tapped in and as these technologies are there and controlling them from the get go is definitely part of the agenda. So it's like, um, you know, it's exploitating. It's it's basically you can exploit exploitate the uh, I'm sorry, exploit the population developing world be a global techno imperialism and like you were saying they sean they have this propaganda narrative that really makes it sound like they're just trying to help people Mm -hmm. it's like you know elon musk's satellite net that is sending astronomy back like a hundred (laughs) years uh because it's just blocking out all the stars but like the the idea is oh we are bringing the internet to everyone um when you know, of course, it's also part of. The they want to control. create new markets to make money off of. Well, there's a... use the Zuck blimps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The, to to broadcast Wi-Fi. Listen, there's a billion people not watching PewDiePie, and they need to change this because <laughs> if they can't change that, the future can't continue. He uh he writes about one world government or global governance. I know one world government is kind of like uh it's it can be treated as a right wing conspiracy, but it's like yeah, they want to do away with individual national. Uh, uh, roadblocks to 
to this kind of stuff. Like he, his preferred future. Now, who's who's in charge of this one world government, Sean? <laughs> Probably <laughs> Schwab. First stakeholders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why can't one world government acknowledging? Why can't that transcend the left right divide when it's like obviously what we're talking about is obviously a thing? Because the infighting keeps it alive. I mean, yeah. If I'm fighting with you know Joe Schmo about the one world order and he's like you're being anti-Semitic or if I'm saying that you're saying that I don't know fucking all the white people run everything it doesn't matter but us fighting allows it to continue it is the divide and conquer method that has worked forever yeah they're very good at the divide and yeah conquer. right well yeah it's I, I mean that, that was kind of like the idea of the industrialists supporting the Nazis where it's like yeah the system is rigged and they are trying to screw you over and by they we mean the Jews not yes, not right. the people at, at the top making all the money Right. That's yeah. the that's how you tell like good from bad one world government analysis is how focused they are on the last names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're doing the count the last names game, uh, you should back away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he writes about uh, his preferred future will, uh, quote, only come through improved global governance. He insists, quote, some form of effective global governance is needed. Uh, and then uh, quoting from the article, uh, this is uh, this all englobing empire very much frowns on the idea of any particular population democratically deciding to take another path. These, quote, risk becoming isolated from the global norms, putting these nations at risk of becoming the laggards of the new digital economy. Hey, you can't say laggards. That's not allowed, Sean. <laughs> right. But it's the idea that oh, if he's like, quoting. <laughs> right. If like no, 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 still, you can't do it. <laughs> it's the idea that if like some nation. Oh, votes, so you can say laggards? I could say it, but he can't say it with the hard R. Some nation like Russia, or, uh, whatever, or England or whatever nation they vote and they say no brain scans. Brain scans are illegal. You can't do brain scans for poor. He's saying they risk becoming laggards yeah. in the new digital economy. You know, yeah, so it's like this is their concern. Yeah. And that's I mean, it's something we've seen with uh, countries that have wanted to not serve the capitalistic uh, structure it's immediately destabilize the government and go in and uh, you know initiate a coup and do whatever the fuck you want and causes riots and so on and so forth but it's based on if you don't follow what we want to do fucking we'll fucking figure out how to end you it's weird though because as capitalists as uber capitalists as these people are it seems like all of their language their woke language sounds very much like socialism so mm -hmm. basically what I've sort of deciphered is that they want to create their version of socialism for all of us and make us think that that's good and how we want to live while they dictate on their terms how we're supposed to live and they really own all of the world's resources. It's socialism without the democracy, which make, to me does means not socialism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's what, like you said, it's like just I, as yeah. bad as the shareholder stuff. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Socialism. What is socialism without democracy? It's fucking fascism. Yeah. yeah. And what John <laughs> it's effective governments and it's a good way to stop imperialism. <laughs> but what John is saying is what the conservative argument against the WEF is. Like in some of the videos, you see people that are like, well, this is the left wing agenda to convince all of us to go to socialism. But really, it's this, which is a fair point. But then people that are more on the left will be like, no, you're attacking socialism and not a global fascist um, control that is the WEF. I dare to say, I think some of us folks on the left and the progressive camp have a blind spot about mm -hmm. the nuance that we just talked about right there. I, I think it is. And it, a part of it is not that- Not me, I'm post-left. <laughs> a part of it is- I transcended the left-right divide myself, <laughs> personally. I think a part of it is that- um, 
if what you're talking about seems too crazy to be true on the left, then you're automatically something I'm not, which is frustrating because it's like, no, the insane shit's happening always. This is not a fucking reality where terrible things aren't happening every fucking day. They, you, you, you live in a world where some version of the Holocaust is occurring at, at all times. So for you to be like, no, 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 but I'm one of the good ones. It's like, it doesn't fucking exist. There's no such thing as the right person making the correct decisions when in the end game is a capitalistic rule that um, hurts us all. Well, I think a big problem is a lot of people on the left haven't played Deus Ex Human Revolution, <laughs> which talks about all these issues in, in just the terms we've just discussed. Well, that's what the stimulus was for. Right. It was to let Klaus, them know. Class has logged 300 hours <laughs> on it <laughs> with, with Hilda. <laughs> but I like that so much. Yeah, socialism without democracy. Yeah. Boom. Um, but yeah, and uh, just a couple more things from this article. He talks about systems leadership. This is, again, like another term like narrative control. It's essentially like a term for coordination among the ruling class. He mm -hmm. says system leadership, systems leadership, quote, requires action from all stakeholders, including individuals, business executives, social influencers, and policymakers. Let's get them all together on the same page at Davos and then spend the year, you know, pushing the narrative. Uh, but, you know, we, we've we've gone a while. We, we've we only just now. The I think, beauty pie is about to go to Davos. That's right. <laughs> uh, we've gone a little while. I think we should uh, just talk a little bit about COVID-19 before we wrap up here, uh, because this is like. Uh, as we it's over, <laughs> as we mentioned, he he wrote this book, July 2020. It came out, COVID nineteen, the Great Reset. He co-authored it with a uh, uh, theory Mallorit, who, according to the article, runs something called the Monthly Barometer, which describes itself as quote a succinct predictive analysis provided to private investors, global CEOs, and opinion and decision makers. Uh, so you know, obviously. What they think about COVID nineteen is what we should think about. Theory Maller is a fake name. That's AI right the, there. It is this, the AI. No program fucking theory. way. Theory it's, spelled T H I E R R Y. Get the fuck out of here. That's correct. That's a computer. Theory Mallorit. <laughs> <laughs> sounds made up as hell. It does. But what is that? What is this newsletter? You know what I mean? It sounds yeah. like his yeah, newsletter was, is like the the. Those are all words. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually deep blue with like a fake mustache. <laughs> It's like the marching orders for the globalists. Yeah. It's like the inside tips. But Perfect. yeah, this is too, This is why I got so down, like went down such a rabbit hole with this stuff. Because first you got Event 201, which is basically a World Economic Forum puts this thing on. Mm -hmm. It's a tabletop pandemic uh, simulation of a novel coronavirus. Then you cut to a real pandemic happening. Right. And you cut to a few months into it. He's got a whole book. And COVID-19, The Great Reset, what that book is about, it's about, uh, in part, it's about talking about what the post-quote, what the post-pandemic world could and maybe should right. look like. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who is pulling all the strings here, man? You know, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but he wrote this book and it's, it's basically just repeating a lot of the platitudes that we talked about with the stakeholder capitalism and stuff like that. But all of this sort of stuff of people being isolated from each other, people being in their homes, using so many digital technologies, all of yep. that stuff, it is like it is like a complete wet dream for Klaus Schwab mm -hmm. and these technocratic fascists. Similar, to, I think similar to how um, the neocon agenda of the George W. Bush administration never could have happened without September 11th. Sure. Everything that they wanted to do happened because that event happened. Oh, yeah. Okay. This 
global pandemic has allowed so many things to uh, get a, get the ball rolling. And it's just going to continue yep. because there's going to be these feedback loops now between pandemics and between uh, uh, environmental disaster and stuff like that. And they're going to just use that as a way to try to push through their technocratic agenda. Yeah. And quoting from the book, quote, it, uh, they're referring to, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, Which, by the way, is a great stocking stuffer for that relative <laughs> who you got Andrew Cuomo's leadership book for last Christmas. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, referring to the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, they write, quote, it is our defining moment, quote, many things will change forever, quote, a new world order, or a new world will emerge. I guess they, they, they'd learn to throw, to yeah. keep the word <laughs> yeah. order right. off of it. <laughs> yeah. Now they just say a new world will emerge. Mm -hmm. uh, quote, the societal upheaval unleashed by COVID-19 will last for years and possibly generations. Quote, many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short response is never. And so it's like, yeah, this it, it, and, you know, like John was just saying there, they talk about how like uh, automation and social and physical distancing will necessitate possibly permanent changes. And, yeah, it's like when people can't get together, that actually does undermine solidarity. Well, I think that one thing I've noticed is I think I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but everyone's fucking like irate underneath right now. Like you watch. You know, I watch fucking dumb. Not me, like, I'm on Zoloft. Like, <laughs> sure, I like public freakouts and stuff. People are just fucking lashing out for no real reason all the time right now. And it seems, if you ask me, more than usual. And then you think about how the generation that's like 65 and plus in this country doesn't talk to anyone sometimes for weeks. So, of course, they've been transfixed from Fox News to whatever you want to fucking Well, the ones say they that. do are dead now. Yeah, but there is a population of just older people that are talking to no one. And... I can yeah. see why they go insane, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Because we've all had a kind of a smaller version of that right now, and I myself have been the worst version of myself during this time. And I can completely see how a population that's left to force isolate goes just batshit insane. It goes against our human nature. I mean, we're social creatures by nature. We need each other. Uh, and in terms of trying to do anything for class struggle, we need to be together right, to right. learn what's going on in order to struggle and uh, and fight back, yeah. you know, and being so isolated, uh, it doesn't even allow people to communicate these ideas and stuff like That's that, right. which is really frustrating, except through awesome podcasts. That's right. Um, and like, this you know, is the real revolution. <laughs> it kind of is. If, if you Patreon.com slash Grubstickers. <laughs> but the real four I, I really do think like they're so right. <laughs> <laughs> Emerging Are of you man ready for the Great Reset? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many microphones and cords yeah. and cables do I'm we have? Well, the 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 listener can't see it, but we're all actually plugged in through our skin right now. We're all plugged we're in through so our cybernetically right. enhanced yeah. podcasting. Uh -huh. The great reset is when we uh, fuck up and talk for two hours and realize we weren't recording and have to start <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah, we actually add the breathing noises in post, right. so it yes. sounds like we're yeah. actually recording a podcast. It's ad libs, like in rap music. Uh, but the last thing I wanted to, uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on from uh, this article we've we've been discussing is, uh, you know, the author. Like, I don't agree with everything in there, mm -hmm. but when he says, you know, when he talks about the fascism, the fascist great reset, I do not think he's engaged in hyperbole. Because, uh, you know, the f the term fascism has several different definitions, but one of them is the merger of the corporation and the state. And I think, like, when we talk about Davos and these people, 
we're actually talking about a far more terrifying version, which is the merger of the global corporation with the global state. These multinational corporations, it's, it's not fascism in Germany anymore. It's fascism on an entire global level or every you know country that participates in this Davos system becomes like brought under this thumb. And, you know, like uh, just as another example, the article talks about how phenomenal sums of money have been transferred from the per public purse into the bulging pockets of the one percent since the start of the covid crisis. As the authors of COVID-19, The Great Reset acknowledged, they say, quote, in April 2020, just as the pandemic began to engulf the world, governments across the globe had announced stimulus programs amounting to several trillion dollars, as if eight or nine Marshall plans had been put into place almost simultaneously. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about how, like, the wealth of billionaires has increased by almost the same amount that the yeah. wealth of the working class has decreased mm -hmm. in about 40 years. We're the only developed country in the world. Say that again. We're the only developed country in the world whose economy is now bigger than it was before the pandemic. Nice. Because of the groundwork we laid with the American Rescue Plan, our vaccination and our vaccination strategy, we're seeing an economy and a job market that can weather the ups and downs of the Delta variant and anything else that comes our way. That's right. Ugh. That was written by AI, by the way, that whole speech. But that's like, you know, just like, you know, you, the listener in your day to day life, have you seen eight or nine fucking Marshall plans? No, but that's the amount of money that has been spent. And it's just like, you know, they absolutely use this to transfer a ton of money from the government to the oligarchy. Even dwarfing what the transfer of, of wealth upward from the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah, that's right. This completely uh, dwarfs that. And it's the sort of thing where maybe we feel like, oh, cool, we got our extended unemployment, we got our this or that, whatever, but they got so much money. Yeah. And we didn't really have that much protest against that particular issue. No. And we didn't even get to get eight or nine bombings of Dresden out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean, I, uh, I, I really think that this, this global consolidation of corporate power with global with at a global level with transcending the nation state that type of fascism i don't think he's being hyperbolic either and i actually think that that is the thing that all of the people across the left right spectrum that all of us should be aware of and should should be a, the the issue that unites us hmm. i really believe that yeah and it is something where it's like uh we can have our disagreements about uh, vaccines or, you know, contact tracing apps or whatever. But I just it very much disturbs me to hear these people talking about just quoting from COVID-19, the Great Reset, quote, no voluntary contact tracing app will work if people are unwilling to provide their own personal data to the government agency that monitors the system. If any individual refuses to download the app and therefore withhold information about a possible infection movements and contacts, everyone will be adversely affected, quote. And uh, they also say the quote, the corporate move will be towards greater surveillance for better or for worse. Companies will be watching and sometimes recording what their workforce does. The trend could take many different forms from measuring body temperatures with thermal cameras to monitoring via an app how employees comply with social distancing, unquote. And it's just something where, you know, I've looked at there's a, a great like Pew Research graph um, of. U.S. public trust in the government. Do you trust the P 
Pew Research since 1958 has been asking the U.S. public, do you trust the federal government to do the right thing either most of the time or almost all the time? And all the way back in like 1958, up until basically it collapses after Kennedy and the Vietnam and all this right. shit. But back in the day, this was around like uh, 78, 80 percent. Now it's down to like 20 percent. Sure. Yep. And so it's like you have this total collapse in trust of institutional legitimacy. And the question is, do you address that by opening up the institutions, by being honest with people, by, you know, addressing wealth and income inequality and all these things? Or do you address no. yeah. or do you address it with force or do you say, yeah, we're not going to bother to, like, get this number back up. We're going to fucking make you. And it does seem like very clear these people at Davos, they want to fucking make you. Yeah. Or do you just take a uh, or you just take at face value some sort of contact tracing scheme? And just assume that the government is not going to have any sort of overreach with it. Right. When you when there's such low trust in the government. Plus, like, you know, uh, uh, a government, a concentrated government effort to stem the pandemic is an inherently bad thing. But the thing with like these contact tracing apps and, you know, all, all of this type of, you know, vaccine um, passes and such, it's it's because the government and, you know, the, the institutions in power, they don't want to shut down the malls yeah. uh, for, you know, a couple months. Uh, they don't want to shut down the airports for a couple months. They don't want to, you know, have a large military effort to deliver groceries to people's houses so that everyone can stay in for long enough to for the virus to pass. Like That's... They, they this this all this technology and, and social control is there to. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I think it's more than that. I actually think that look i'm vaccinated i have proof of it the picture of it on my phone but i don't want to sign up for the vaccine passport yeah i really don't i don't want to be part of that digital i don't want there to be a digital database centralized that has my private medical information in it and i think it's just the beginning i think that they're going to use it for future uh medical procedures that people have to get done in order to function in society I think there's going to be all sorts of other aspects of identity that are going to be attached to it. I think it's a I think it's like a test bed sort of onboarding for what I see as some really uh, dystopic uh, technology that they're going to use. You know, I, I used to think that things were going really bad and, you know, that society was uh, crashing down. But now I'm on Zoloft and I think it's fine. <laughs> um, I recommend you guys try it. Uh, you can also mix it with Wobutrin and uh, <laughs> lithium and Adderall. Hey, uh, I'm on lithium. Nice. <laughs> Let, wait a minute. Let me see your gut bacteria. Are you really on Zoloft? <laughs> Have you been taking it? Oh, there's a nano pill now that, you, that can track it back. Papa Zoloft before they installed the diarrhea chip. <laughs> it it'll kind help. of is. Trust the, me, it'll help. Zoloft is kind of the diarrhea chip. <laughs> but to any of you guys, I mean, do I just sound like crazy? No, not at all. No, no. You know what's I fucked agree up with you, man? I, I like. I've been to a few bars, and they check my vaccine card more than any of my white friends every time. And there, oh, there are oh, some fuck. numbers that are like POCs aren't getting the fucking vaccine as much. And you know, fucking bouncers and shit are being like, uh, I need to see your fucking papers, right? But here's what's even more fucked up. So when I got my vaccine, the fucking tool that gave it to me misspelled Pfizer on it. And now people are doing fake vaccine cards and they misspelled Moderna. So I got to deal with the panic of them being like Pfizer's fucking spelt wrong and be like, I'm not trying to oh, fucking wow. do shit. And, and it's like some, someone was like, you got to get that fixed. And I was like, ah, it's no big deal. And now I'm like, I could be fucked. Well, then that makes me feel like so that makes me feel like, oh, so then, though, if you 
get your passport, then you'll be okay. That's the problem with it. It's Ugh. how much do they, because a friend of mine early on was like, you get in the vaccine. And I was like, I can't fight all the wars. There's yeah. so much that I try not to do to protest in terms of global elite power. This was something that I was like, I, fuck, I guess I got to do this. And at the same time, though, a part of me now comprehends that nothing's ever going to be enough, regardless of whether it's a vaccine passport or anything else. There's always going to be more. Yeah, you're right. But have you have you considered uh, Zoloft lithium, Wellbutrin, Adderall, <laughs> and maybe boner How's pills? How's it going to solve my racism problem? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like it's, it, you'll be like, I, I guess this is what happens now. <laughs> but you're right. You know, in Israel, they're already doing the boosters, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So everybody's getting their third shot. And for their vaccine passport to be up to date, it has to be including the booster. Right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's like, look. I have an immune system, okay? Too. I I don't I'm I'm a healthy person. I'm pretty sure I got COVID back in January of 2020. You know what I mean? Um I don't want to keep getting boosters every 6 or 8 months, yeah. you know? This is not Okay, we're going totally off the rails. No, here. you're right though. I agree, like I agree with you. But John, here's the thing. Even if it's not fucked up or conspiracy or whatever, the concern is real, right? We're all fucking worried that hey, nobody thinks the pandemic was handled well. Let's just start there. No one goes, "You know what?" This global catastrophe, I think they no, did a good enough job. We gave it to the richest and most hardworking members of society. <laughs> we gave all them the, the money to them, and they they solved it. So thank you. I don't and know. I, I think Andrew, Andrew Cuomo, <laughs> I'm the last guy defending his <laughs> handling of the pandemic. I know this is going to be a bold statement, but I don't trust Big Pharma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neither yeah. do I. Yeah. And I don't want to. The, take the reason their I'm not forever. on the drugs Andy said is because I don't. Because in my whole life, they were like, you need some drugs to fucking mellow you yeah. out. And I was like, I'm not going to. Take a pill every day. That's gonna make me normal. Yeah, but look how much and, fun I'm having. And now yeah, I got that's hypertension. That's the paradox of me because I do have to take them. Yep, uh, yeah, and I do. But uh, but at the same time, I don't think that I need a booster of some weird mRNA spike protein mm -hmm. nano lipid nanoparticle uh, vaccine every six or eight months for the rest of my fucking life. What are you proposing? We shut down the malls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that's a fair uh, uh, comparison. Well, in summation, to quote the video game Deus Ex: Human Revolution, <laughs> this fucking guy. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> uh, but uh, John F., I, I really want to thank you for for being here and uh, talking to us uh, about all this, and just uh, I guess. In closing, um, do you have any closing thoughts, things we didn't get to? And also, please let the people know where they can find you. Uh, we will have links to your podcast and your social media in the description for this episode. Okay, cool. I think we covered a lot. And first, I want to say this has been so much fun. And I really appreciate Thank you guys having yeah. me. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I guess just, I'll, just, I'll just reiterate one thing you said towards the end, that this, this great reset, it's, it really is underpinned by a fascistic merging of state and business. You know what I mean? Um, and since the start of COVID crisis, massive sums of money have been transferred to the 1%. Yeah. So I think we need to be aware of that. I think we need to just scream from the hilltops about the World Economic Forum, about Davos and how ridiculous they are and how weird they are and creepy they are uh, and just make fun of them uh, and talk about them and just ridicule them publicly so they lose their credibility with the world leaders and the corporations that they are trying to mold some twisted techno-fascist agenda with. And you can find my work. <laughs> <laughs>
Before you do plugs, you're absolutely right. And it's like, it's something where what I've realized is like, whether or not you agree with lockdowns, dis- agree with di- or disagree, the way they were implemented right. was austerity. Mm-hmm. They implemented lockdowns as austerity. And we're getting to the point where the democratic freedoms, the limited democratic freedoms that we do enjoy are going to be incompatible with permanent austerity. They will create a problem. So when we talk about these people as fascistic, they're like, we want to keep this austerity going. We want to consolidate our power. The only way eventually for them to do that will be to remove those democratic freedoms. Absolutely. And I'm telling you guys, look at Australia. Just just search for Australia, lockdown, find whatever you can find about it because it is bonkers over there. What they're doing. Earlier I said name something. It was NSSM 200. It was Nixon doing a population control. I just want yeah. to make that correction. Yeah, look oh. up look up the Twitter account Amy Therese and look at the <laughs> the mental health degradation that has been inflicted on the people of Australia. Now that's someone who's taking their Adderall. <laughs> Again, you can find my work uh, as um, I have a podcast called Take Your Pill Psychopath. We use uh, comedy to talk about all sorts of mental health issues. And sometimes I do a side podcast through that same thread called The Crazy Pill, uh, which is where we swallow insanity in order to puke out propaganda, trademark. Uh, So that's like the political one. But you can find those uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, and if you're in the New York area, definitely check out this live weekly show. Uh, It's called Live From Outer Space. It's at the Cobra Club. And on Twitter, I'm at the real JFOD. Also on Instagram, at the real JFOD. Yeah, if you're in New York, go check out John Live. He's got the best lithium chunk in the country. <laughs> it's true. Motherfucker's a murder. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. All right. Well, uh, uh, thanks again to John. Thank you for listening. Thank you uh, for supporting this, uh, for supporting us on Patreon. And I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm Yogi Paywell. I'm Andy Palmer, and I'm going to build your bird back better. <laughs> I'm Steve <laughs> Jeffries. All right. Take care. Stay safe. Uh, get your boosters. Bilderberg back there. I think Steve was just being polite, Yogi. Well, yeah, I, dude. That's fair. Conscientious for. Well, I've been talking for a while. I walked in and said John's a nerd, so I'm clearly the fucking <laughs> mad dog on the show. No, you're right. You are being kind and polite, unlike myself. <laughs>